Uh, perhaps you do the same thing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate uh, all that. And if you have some music talent, please uh, let that be known. Uh, don't just play in the closet. We could, uh, we could use you. Let's, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for this day. Today's uh, first day of the week, and it's uh, Resurrection Day. And the church has, from the earliest days, gathered on Sunday in commemoration of the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus we gather uh, because of that living hope that is ours, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I thank you that we can gather. You provided a place and for each one that's here, each precious soul, whether young or old or somewhere between, and you've gathered by your appointment that we might worship you and pray, that we might encourage each other in the things of God and the things of life, the ups and the downs, and, and uh, it is... Uh, Difficult at times, living just living in a fallen world. It's hard, Lord, and we need to cast our every care upon you and lean upon the everlasting arms and taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why you provided us to each other as a gift, and we need each other. Thank you for the wonderful word of God that you've given to us, Lord. It's bread from, uh, from heaven, heavenly manna that's given to strengthen us and to teach us of the Lord and to grow us up in the faith that we might earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Help us, Lord, to be a part of the great work of discipleship making uh, in our classes now with our children, even now as we sit here and are fed the Word of God. May we actively engage and pray that the Spirit of God open our hearts and the illumination of our eyes of our heart, of our soul, that we might hear the message you have for us today. Oh God, we pray for that. We ask that you'd open the heart and save any here that do not know Jesus, that they would be saved even today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the gospel. It is our standing, and we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, take your Bible and turn to Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. Uh, as uh, I have, uh, in my planning, uh, in pulpit teaching, like to do at the beginning of a year, we uh, begin a number of themes before we get into a longer systematic study of a portion. And last week we saw time, how appropriate, on January the 1st, time, the, the passing treasure. It's the greatest treasure. And when it's gone, it's gone. And the sands of time, look at that. The sands went through and we're back here already again. Can you believe it? I mean, it's... I, I say that and I laugh because I get in bed at night and I go like, I thought I just got up and I'm getting back, laying down. And I love to sleep, don't you? Don't sleep now. But I, I jump in there, crawl under the covers and go like, sleep is a great gift. It, it really is. I never liked it as a kid because I had so much energy. My father thought he had to tie me down in bed because I just, why waste time sleeping? You know, you got to do all sorts of, now it's like, oh, that was dumb and dumber. I love sleep. And uh, I'm glad, uh, glad that you do too. Time, the passing treasure. Today we want to we look at a theme I've entitled, It's All About Jesus, uh, from the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, and uh, to remind us, what is the crown jewel of Grace Church? What is it here? It's certainly not about me. If you think it's me, uh, you, you're, you've, you've got problems. 
you got big problems, and if you think I'm a, just talk to Faith, she'll fill you in. It's very humbling being married, you know. It's, it's just, yeah, you know, some, some of you have said that. When you were single, you thought you are doing pretty good, but now, you, you, you know, you're sort of like, and you know it, and they know it. So that's why I say it's humbling. But take your Bible. Let's read this opening uh, of this, the opening verses of chapter 1, and just read verses 1 to 8 of the Revelation um, of Jesus Christ. First one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him, that's Jesus, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood." And made us a kingdom, priest uh, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. It's all about Jesus, is the title. You know, there are many kinds of churches. You know that as well as I do. There's one up the street. We pass the bunch driving in, church buildings, all kinds. Some are big. There are some mega churches in our land, and we're thankful for some of them. And uh, they herald forth and contend for the gospel we're grateful for that. Um, Americans particularly like bigger, better, best, right? Only 4% of churches are mega churches. Do you know that uh, 90% of churches, the average a church in America is 70 people? You probably didn't know that. Take the big ones and the little ones and you average it out. That's the size. Some are big, some are small, some are rural, some are urban, some are located in the suburbs. We're a suburban church. Some cater to particular groups. And you know that. There's the Korean church in our area, and the preaching is in the, the Korean tongue. And uh, it's not uncommon for different groups to emigrate here into neighborhoods, and, and for that first generation, they'll have worship in the Ukrainian tongue or different tongues, and that's the way it is until another generation or their children are assimilated and uh, they're, they're speaking in English and have services in English if they know Christ and they gather in the churches. Some are particular groups, while others are cosmopolitan, a cross-section of all people everywhere. I love that kind of church. I pray that our church would be a slice of heaven all nationalities, all ethnicities, I would love it. You might as well get used to it. If you know Christ, it's going to be that way for a long time. Last time I checked, it's without end. And I would love the flavor that that would bring. And look for that and pray for that. The cosmopolitan type. Some churches mention much about Jesus. They're the blessed places, right? While others seem to have lost him. 
they lose him. And where'd he go? They lost their Bibles. That tends to be the seminaries end up with new ideas about the Bible, new ideas about Jesus. And it's about a generation and a half later, those men that went through now are in the pulpit, and there are some older ones in places that once heralded the gospel, and bit by bit they die off, and then bit by bit the churches are emptied, and they lost Jesus. And he's just a man, right? Jesus Christ superstar, Mary Magdalene. He's just a man. He's a superman. He's a great teacher. He's a moral teacher. He's an example. He's a religious revolutionary. He got run over. He's, uh, he's an example to us. He's, uh, and bit by bit, they speak less and less about him, and uh, they lose him. Unitarian churches, uh, liberal mainline churches have lost the wonder of the incarnation and the supernatural, glorious Son of God made human flesh, born on Christmas Day as we celebrate from Mary, his mother, the God-men. They lost him. They hardly mention him. And if they do, perhaps it's a distortion of him. Well, as we as a church move into the new year, and we have already, today's day number eight, we need to remember, we need to remember that grace here, it's all about Jesus. One of my esteemed professors in my, one of my programs of study, he said, you know, a quick study of church history reveals the question is not, will we endure to the end? If you read church history, it's a matter, how long can we as a Bible-believing Orthodox seminary continue to exist before we too have lost the baton of the gospel, that we stop earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered? It's true of seminaries, it's true of churches, and that's why there's a need to continually plant churches, because the lights sort of go out. If you read your Bible, he's going to talk about seven churches. Write John to the seven churches. You know what? Those churches are gone today. They lost Jesus. They lost their light. Their candlestick was put out. More churches need to be planted. Satan is up to his antic and would love to destroy any beachhead of the gospel that desperately needs to be planted in the, in the world today, in all sorts of neighborhoods and cities and faraway places. Wow. There is nothing but him. It's all about Jesus. He is the crown jewel of our church. There is nothing besides him. He is the Alpha and the Omega. We just read that. We exist as a church to declare him and his gospel to a lost and dying world. It's all about Jesus. In our classes with the little ones back here, in our Sunday school class, all the way up through, we never graduate and say, well, what's next? What are the postgraduate studies? Is there something beyond him? And when we come to that, we might as well just close the doors here because we've lost the message of earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered. I say to you, it's all about him. It is, he is the reason that we exist. Well, having said that, I thought it would be very important for us as John unfolds here in these few verses for us uh, three essentials, directing our complete attention on the Lord Jesus Christ in life, and because it's the new year, in the new year, for Paul tells us in that wonderful passage in Romans eleven thirty six, for from him, speaking of Jesus, he's the source of everything, through him he's the agent or the means of all things, 
And to him, he is the goal of every single thing. Of your life, your children, your grandchildren, your work, the very reason that you're living, the very existence for our church, the very existence of our country in this world at this point in time. Step back, get away from the blades of grass, and get the big picture. It's all about him. He's the glorious one. And Satan would love to rob any of his glory. He's been trying to do that from the beginning. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Three essentials. If you got it and you know it already, then I won't let you leave because I need to have you here. But uh, the book, here it is, three essentials, real quick. They're all Bs. They always help me when you alliterate, right? I have a friend who's a pastor, David Benning, and he's a professor. And I tease him about alliteration. He'd say, ah, oh, Sebulsi, you're not smart enough to know that that many words that begin with the same letter. <laughs> I go, no, that's an old-fashioned style of preaching. But you know what? He said, hey, people remember it. They do. And so here it is for all of us, and I need it. The book, The Blood, and The Blessed Hope. What are we about as we focus on Jesus in the year 2012? The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. I like that. It just kind of puts it in a nice little package. What pastor preach on today? Let me tell you. The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. It's all about Jesus. There you go. See, how many got that? You got that? Stephen, don't leave. Don't, don't, got that? <laughs> well, the book. Well, here we are. Our book. The, our, do you know that our Bible pre presents Jesus from cover to cover? Verses 1 to 5a in our text. Do you know that? Jesus has revealed, uh, God has revealed himself to in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I said that before, if you wonder, well, what, I wonder what God the Father is like. You know, God gave the answer. Hebrews 1 really unfolds it. Look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels as he interacts with people, with hardened sinners, religious teachers, the down and out, those that are grieving, uh, those that are hungry, those that are sick and lame. You see the very heart and compassion and mercy of God. That's what God is like. Jesus reveals what God is. He's the expressed image. That's what he is. And John, in verses 1 and 2, is given this revelation, this revealing uh, to tell the future happenings, i.e., that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the revelation, the revealing, the appearing. Revelation is a 50-cent word. It simply means appearing, in this case, the appearing of Jesus. You know, he came once, he's going to come again. We, we make a great, uh, great splash, and we had a wonderful Christmas Eve service. The place was full, and the music was beautiful, and it was so... So nice. So many of you were kind in that story. Actually, Faith, he found it, and we, we practiced that, worked on that narration of that beautiful story, uh, and then pointed to, uh, to, uh, to the Christmas uh, story as a result of that. And uh, it just absolutely beautiful. He came once, and we celebrate. He's coming again. It's the rest of the story. Remember that radio announcer? What was his name? Paul Harvey. Is he still broadcasting somewhere? Well, you don't know. He might be doing it in heaven, you know. <laughs> I believe he was a Christian. I loved his little, his humor, right? And now the rest of the story. I mean, it's an unfinished story. He came once. He came suffering. He came humbly broken. He came. He died as the suffering servant of God. You think that's the end of the story? That's not the end of the story. 
When he comes again, the revealing, the appearing of him, it will be glorious. And you will, your mouth will hang open. You won't even be able to say anything. You won't be able to say anything. You're just like, you won't even be able to say, holy cow. You won't, you're just like, it's the rest of the story. He's coming. There's coming a day when he's coming. The, you know, the unbelievers and the scoffers, 2 Peter 3, say, well, where's the promise of his coming? Where's the promise? All things have always been as they always have been. Ah, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. But he's long-suffering. He's, he, his time is exact. He's waiting and drawing more people into saving grace. You know, there was a day when God, through Noah, condemned the world. Through 120 years, he built the ark. And Noah, the preacher of righteousness, preached to his generation. And none of them were saved, save eight, his family. And the day came, and they finally went in the ark, and the rains came, and the judgment fell. And they were lost outside. They perished. 120 years showing the patience and long-suffering of God. Wow. Well, what am I saying? Jesus is the number one person in the universe. He's the firstborn, the text says here. He's the firstborn. Colossians 1 says the same thing, that he has the priority seat. Priority. It's not the president of the United States. I'm sorry to tell you something. Cool. You'll see the most powerful man in all the world. You ever hear that? The most. Am I? Am I something about these? Oh, am I? Oh, yeah. That's that's the best way to. Oh, hey, that works. Thank you, David. The president of the United States is not the most powerful person in the universe. Now we know what we mean. I, I guess when we say such a thing. Jesus is, occupies the number one priority. He is number one. He has the priority position as Son of God, Savior, Lord of all. Well, what can we say about this? Uh, John was given the vision by God's angels. It's unique. It's the only book in the New Testament where we're told that an angel delivered it from God to the writer of it, only this book of Revelation. And there's a special blessing, be that's promised to any who read and obey and keep this. They're all present participle. It means it's, a, it's an active style of your day-to-day -day life. It's not like, oh, I heard that once and that's it. No, you're continually thinking about it, musing about it, wondering about it, looking for this glorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this appearing. And God says, those that do that have a special blessing. And in a bigger way, we might say, of course, there's the blessedness of just reading and digesting and memorizing and meditating on the Word. Isn't that Psalm 1? It is. Yeah, because Jesus is the beautiful one, isn't he? He's the glorious one. He radiates. We said in, uh, when he was born, some of the great writers and the great artists talk about the emanation of the Christ child. Rembrandt will paint and show this emanation of the child, Mary holding the baby. Then there was no emanation of light. It was all veiled. It was veiled deity in human flesh. But when we see him again, the emanation of the light, the brilliancy of that, they saw that in the Mount of Transfiguration. What, what is this? The glory that was metamorphosed right there, and they saw the, the existence of God in their presence. And that's how we shall see him. He is gloriously beautiful. He's a God of beauty. Who do you think gave you an appreciation for beauty and symmetry and balance and, and all that? Animals don't have that. You're made in God's image. Every one of you are. You have an appreciation for that because God is a God of beauty. And you think that he is not beautiful? God is beautiful. Now, in his earthly humanity, he was comely, he was ordinary. You didn't look at him and say, wow, he looks like JFK. We ought to vote for him. He's handsome. 
You didn't think that at all. But now in his glory and his brilliancy of his beauty, and heaven is going to be beautiful beyond your imagination. Some of you ought to uh, read uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce. You ought to read that. It's, uh, only he could write something like that. He, it's a, it's a, I'll tell you what it is. It, it, did you ever do field trips in school? Yay, we're going on a field trip, right? Don't have to study. Right? Everyone was always happy. There were some classes that were always going. We were like, how come they're going? You know, like, like we want to go. It's a field trip in Lewis's mind from hell on a bus to heaven. That's what the whole thesis of the great divorce is. And you read that and you'll be utterly amazed of the glory of the celestial city, the beauty of it. You may want to look at that. Well, did you know, when I'm talking here, the book, our Bible presents Jesus from cover to cover. Here's the point. He does not just show up in the New Testament. Some of you think that maybe. And I want to, I want to expand your thinking because this book, from leather to leather, cover to cover, is all about Jesus. All about it. I could go through and begin a litany of this scarlet thread and the person of Jesus all the way through the Old Testament, and you'd be utterly amazed. I'm saying to you, one of the things we need to do in our personal study and from the pulpit and classroom is to discover the Lord Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end, from the first chapter to the last chapter, and all the way through, not in Matthew. You know, a lot of people do that. Now, Gideon's a lot of times will give out uh, New Testaments, and, and that's wonderful, or Gospel of John, and that's wonderful, really. Well, that's... that's you're, you're getting a truncated story there. That's not the whole story. That's not the rest of it. That's not, that's, a, that's, that's bridged. Well, here, I, I have on your sheet here just a few. Uh, in Genesis uh, chapter uh, 1, uh, just look at that. I want, I just, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, 6, 9, 11, and 14. Verse 3 says, and God said, who do you think that was that said that? I was not the father. We often don't, aren't real clear in our understanding of the Trinitarian relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke. Now, uh, you can jot down a couple verses and think, Pastor, I never heard that before. He's in page 1, in, in verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24. Have you got, this is Jesus saying, speaking, creation into being. That's exactly what the Bible says of this pre-incarnate. Now, his name Jesus, we associate that with his birth. Of course, that's his He shall certainly save. Yesu is his name in the Greek. He shall certainly save. Joshua, Old Testament, same name, Hebrew. Okay? But he existed prior. That's why the miraculousness of the incarnation is so amazing. How do you take one who's pre-existent, who's always been the second person of the Godhead, now he adds to himself at a point in time humanity. The, uh, the, the uh, incarnation is, is, is a great miracle without forming a new person. You know, when conception occurs, there's a brand new person. I know you may have some friends that talk about, well, reincarnate. I was, you know, I was a, I was a tadpole in a previous life. I always think, like, yeah, I always figured that was true, you know. <laughs> no, that's mush. You began uh, as a person by God's divine at the point of conception, a brand new person. So how do you, one who was preexistent, who's always been the creator, Genesis 1, now he adds to himself human nature, human body, 
in the hypostatic union, the theanthropic person, all these, this, the birthing of the Christ child without a new person being formed. It's miraculous. And that's why the wonder. That's why Dr. Luke, the physician, really ponders over that and the wonder of that. Well, a couple, if you think I'm giving you the wrong stuff, look, check Colossians 1.16. He created all things. How about John 1, verse 3? Without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus, he's a creator. He's more than that. He makes it and he sustains it. He holds it all together. Some of you know about uh, uh, the, uh, the atom more than I do, but uh, I'm told that uh, we don't know why it all hangs together like that. It ought to, by rights, maybe it's a centrifugal force of the electrons and, and, and so on, ought to fly apart. He holds it all together actively. It's not like he did it and he went to the beach and he's somewhere far away and not involved. Not at all. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Again, he is the creator of all things. You see what I'm saying? He just doesn't show up. The, the Bible, the book, presents Jesus from cover to cover. You and I need to think more clearly about that. That's him in Genesis chapter 1. Move on. Number 2, he appears to Abraham and tells of Isaac's miraculous birth the next year in Genesis 18. Remember, he shows up with two, uh, two angels with him. The angels are on their way to Sodom. They're, gonna, they're going to deliver a lot. They're going to bring about destruction. There's fire and brimstone is going to fall. But uh, God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, visits, in Genesis there, Abram. Now remember when Sarah laughed? Next year, old lady, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> yeah, right. Isaac, the word means laughter. I don't know if you'd be laughing if you were... 89 and told you're going to conceive a baby and next year you're going to be... Yikes! Wow! <laughs> Abraham's 100. I don't know what you'd be thinking about. And that was a miraculous birth in that because her womb was all dried up and I'm sure he was dried up and he had no seed and God said, I'm going to open that up. You're going to have a son. It wasn't like you're going to have a baby. No, you're going to have a son. It wasn't like, well, that was a good guess. No, he's creator God. He knows. That's Jesus appearing there in Genesis. How about wrestling? You know, Jesus was on the wrestling team. Genesis 32, he wrestled with Jacob all night long. Genesis 32, verse 24, that's Jesus. Say, so did he make weight? I'm sure he did. Being a former wrestler myself, some of you know what that is. <laughs> You wrestle it, that's Jesus there. That's not God the Father, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the Lord Jesus. In fact, let me jump ahead, I didn't even have it. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, the definite angel of the the Malach Elohim, the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate Jesus. That is, all the way, he doesn't just show up in Matthew from cover to cover. In fact, we got a prelude to that, didn't we? On the road to Emmaus, in Luke 24, I have it on your sheet there, uh, after the resurrection, the uh, couple of the disciples were walking away forlorn. On the day of the resurrection, we had heard some rumors they resurrected, but we were, you know, they're on the way to Emmaus. They're discouraged. Haven't you heard what happened? And Jesus disguised himself somehow in walking with them. Maybe it was supernatural. He didn't reveal himself. So what's he do? He takes the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and then the prophets, and he goes all the way through the Psalms, and he presents himself and his person and his work, how he must die, all the way through. It's a glorious section. It's a lecture I would love to have heard. And then their eyes were finally open. 
that they didn't, here's the thing, they didn't have any of the New Testament there. And in the first generation of the church, they preach from the Scriptures, Jesus Christ. He's a good shepherd in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Who do you think that is? That's the Lord Jesus. Uh, in, in Psalm 22, uh, the, the crucifixion psalm, who do, you, who do you think that's pointing to? David saw, he's pointing to Jesus. Isaiah 53, he's the Lamb of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? i just give you a few of them here. He, he's the one speaking to Moses in the burning bush. The, who, do, who, do you, who do I say you are? I am that I am. That's, I, that's the great I am's of John. I am the, the bread of life. I am I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection. And the it's the Lord Jesus speaking to Moshe, Moses at the burning bush. That's Jesus. I'm saying that, 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 that it's all about Jesus in the book here. The book, the blood, and the blessing of the book is all about him. All about him. You see, you, you have to throw your Bible out in a church if you somehow lost Jesus. What are you doing? What are we gathering? Is it a social club? This is not Rotary. Any of you think you're in the wrong place? I'm sorry, it's not Rotary. It's not the Optimist Club, although we are ulti- the ultimate Optimist Club, right? Right? Uh, I remember when they formed the Optimist Club, what's that about? Well, we're really for good things. I said, well, I'm for good things. You know, like, tell me about it. Well, we're upbeat. I like that. Well, this is even far better. But if you think you're at the Optimist, it's not. It's all about Jesus. This is a church. The burning bush, he leads the Israelites across the Red, uh, Red Sea and through the desert. He stands in the fiery furnace with the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Who do you think that is? That's Jesus there. You see that? He's all the way through. I don't know if you've you've ever connected all those dots. He's a good shepherd of Psalm 23. That's John 10. I am the good shepherd. Look and find Jesus throughout your Bible. Be amazed. It's all about him. It's It's all about him. Read your Bible looking for Jesus. Any good teacher of the Bible is looking for the Lord to present him. You see, any good preacher worth his soul is looking for Jesus. In the text, it teaches of, you search the scriptures, they teach of me. It's not a book on morals. We're not just trying to dress up sinners so that you honor your parents and don't steal your neighbor's wallet or car or something. And, you know, let's act morally. When you come to Jesus and he changes you, he's going to change that. But it's far more than just morality. It's the gospel in which we stand. And it's all about Jesus. He's everything. Have you come to know him that way? To know the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They hear the gospel of Jesus. It's all about him. That's why I love my Bible. You mark your Bible up. I hope you do. It's great treasure. Faith was telling me the other day, uh, she had read something, you had read something there or something? Oh, Blackaby, yeah, I was talking about. In fact, it was a great idea. I hadn't thought of it. I, I have several Bibles that I've sort of worn. They just kind of fall apart after a number of years, and I write notes in them and, and things like that. And I thought, what a great treasure to give to my children uh, if the Lord should come uh, and take me home before they or before, you, you know, to have your dad's Bible. I thought, that's a great thing. So I marked them up, not for that reason, I mark them up because a pen is like a third eye. I study it better, right? Notes in my margin, this and that, everything, you know. Uh, it's a great gift. And Blackaby, Faith, he was telling me, Blackaby said uh, he had the same thing on a shelf, and he decided he would give his Bibles to his kids while he was living. I go like, whoa, that's a, 
well, why wait? They're just sitting there. I don't use them anymore because I open them up and the pages kind of kind of go. I go, that's a great idea. Mark your Bible up. Search the Word. Search it. It, it tells of Jesus from beginning to end. It's all about Him. Satan will want to drop the blinds down, turn the lights down, so you see less and less and less of him. But it's really all about him. He's the one that satisfies in my life. He's the one. No matter what befalls you, Jesus doeth all things well. All may fail, and they do, and we fail each other. But Jesus never fails. We sing those songs because they're true. It's all about him. It's all about him. Well, the book. How about the second? Three to six. Uh, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to, to his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. The book, the blood, the blood. You have been, if you know Christ the Lord as your Savior, you've been purchased. Purchased with a price. Now that's marketplace terminology. There are different words that are used for the salvation. The atonement uh, is a priestly term. Ransom, we know what a ransom is. That's a monetary term, talking about the payment of the price to, to set you free. Uh, redemption is a marketplace term. You go down to a market or a place and you, you, you give good money or your, your, you give your bank card, cash, uh, to, to purchase something. Purchase with a price. And the price, according to Scripture, is the blood of Jesus Christ. He came to the earth, A, for the purpose of dying as the perfect sacrifice for sin. Now, this is the plan of the ages. It is. Albert Schweitzer uh, was wrong when he wrote a long time ago, uh, his thought that uh, Jesus was sort of a revolutionary and got run over by the wheels of the Romans and all of that? Ah, no, that's, no, that's not what the Bible... From the beginning of time, he's the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. All the way through, the scarlet thread. He is the plan... There's only plan A. And listen, you need to get this in your own life. There's only plan A. I know we like to do plan B, plan C, plan F, plan double I, plan hike, hike, audibles at the line. You know, oh, I didn't see that defense. I didn't see this coming. And we did. God never said, I didn't know. He only has one plan. It includes the acts of sinful men and women that we do and that happen to us and just life itself in a fallen world. And before the ages of time, the plan of God to provide a redeemer it's all plan A. There's no plan B. And since Adam, all have been born sinners, human beings, but tainted with a sin nature, and stand under the holy wrath of God. Ephesians 2. It's a judicial anger of a holy God who's a just God. It's controlled. It's not a raging maniac type of thing you might think of when you hear the word wrath. It's a controlled anger judicially against those who are treasonous and worthy of it. You know, to sin really means to, to be a, a rebellion. We, when we sin, it is really rebelling against God in his, his character and in his moral standards that emanate from him. And he has decided that the wages of sin is death. He didn't ask for a vote on it. He didn't run a poll on it. What do you think of this? The wages of sin is death. 
He had warned in, the gen- in, in Genesis, remember that? Don't eat of that tree, don't eat of that tree. And the day that you eat of it, you will die indeed. It was a warning, it was a threat. And yet God was merciful. Be- they died spiritually, they were separated from God when they sinned, right? But he didn't strike them dead at that moment. He could have, but in his grace, he was up to something, and he provided a substitute. How do I know that? Well, they tried to put fig leaves or something around it. They felt shame. They felt exposed to God. Their consciences were guilty. Incidentally, your conscience is a great indicator of your likeness to God. God gave it. It's an indicator, right and wrong. You're not stuff. You're not animals. One dog will steal another's bone, doesn't feel badly about it at all. He doesn't. <laughs> He'll steal a dog's girlfriend. <laughs> he doesn't care. But you're made in God's likeness and image, and when you go to violence, now you can harden that so that conscience doesn't speak. You can sear your conscience, but it's a gift from God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they did it. Adam and Eve did it. And they tried to cover themselves, and God said, not good. And he went and he took an animal and he slew that animal as a substitute. A.W. Pink writes a lot about that in his commentary on Genesis. An animal died as a substitute. Blood was shed and he covered Adam and Eve with skins. And You can read that in Genesis 3 of your Bible. The wages of sin is death. God requires death for sin. Since all are dead in sin and therefore helpless... You and I are born this way. I was born that way, and so, so were you. If help is to come to you and to me, God must bring it. Dead people don't respond. I've been to a lot of funerals, and I think if they sat up in the casket, I'd be the first one out the door. <laughs> Danny, you grew up that with your daddy, yeah, being a funeral director. I'd be the, would you? We don't expect them to respond, do we? Some of those mafia movies, they come in there with a pin. Uh, make sure here, you know, if he moves, you know, <laughs> I don't watch that stuff, but I heard someone say that. <laughs> dead people, and we're born spiritually dead. You, there's no response. And if there's to be help, if we're to be rescued, it has to come from God. That's the gospel, the book, the blood. And that's the whole story of how God was going to redeem a people. This is the truth behind Genesis 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the Lord to his son, born of Mary, born to die, born to die on the cross for sin. He lived the life that we should have lived, sinless. He died the death you and I should have died. He died as our substitute. It's the heart and the core in the shedding of his blood for us. God taught the idea of substitution to the nation of of Israel through their sacrificial system and through the death of the Passover lamb, the blood of goats and lambs and bulls and other. Amazing. The blood flowed. If I could take you to the tabernacle on, 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 on those days, in the high religious days there, you would be amazed at the river of blood that flowed from these animals that were slain. Yeah, we're a little queasy about that, you know. Uh, you know, like, did, you know, I was asking someone about, I don't know who it was, they, they used to chop off the head of chickens and then bring it in and roast it at home. And I go, and uh, was that you, Ron? No. 
I can't remember, but the chicken that actually ran around, I said, how long did it run around with its head? You know, we have that expression, you know, like, oh, you know, like, and our kids have no idea. Uh, most of us have very little idea how bloody that whole meat business is, you know. Like, we think we go through Wendy's and get a hamburger, and that's the end of it, and that's where it came from, right there. Uh-uh. Somebody's, uh-uh. It, those butchery places and those poultry, they're a bloody mess. I mean, it is amazing. And if we could go th- back there and see the, the, the river of blood that God prescribed in teaching as a tutor to bring his people to the point where, look, the wages of sin is death. That's the represent. You lay your hands on that animal, then you slice his throat, and then you offer that. The hands transferred your guilt to that animal as a substitute. It would lead them for hundreds of years up to the point of the cross where Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all as our sin substitute. That is the message of the Bible. It is a bloody thing. The wages of sin is death. But in that, see, God purchases men and women for himself through the death of Christ. Now you can check these passages, 1 Peter and Acts 20, 28, 29, and you'll see that God purchased you with the blood of his Son as your substitute. And that's why I say it's all about him. It's not about you. Don't come carrying in your good work saying, well, I'm pretty good. Don't even mention it. Those who know how wicked they really are come to understand the greatness of the gift of salvation. It's a gift. It's not Jesus and me. It's all of him. If I get what I do, I say, God, that's not fair. Never say that. Because fairness, you mean you want justice? You want justice? I don't think so. I don't want mercy. I want mercy, Lord. Kindness. When Don't give me what I deserve. And on him was laid the iniquity, our sin, my sin, every, the millions of sins that I've committed and thought were indeed laid on him. The sins of even the moral. I pray I don't commit, but probably will. Laid on him. Laid on him. And it was a finished work. Finished. Declared Son of God. The resurrection shows that the Father accepted it. It was a bloody sacrifice. Purchased. You've been purchased. Purchased. And the third B, the last, is the blessed hope. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him. And even those who pierced him, they're the Jews. And every tribe of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and the Omega. The blessed hope, the third essential. Jesus will come for us some glorious day and may be today. I say that. Don't ever get dull by that. You say, well, you know, the church has been saying that for 20 centuries now. That's right. But that means we're 20 centuries closer to the day. We're to live with the expectation Jesus may come today. There used to be a generation that would, would, would live with the reality of that, and it would more affect what they do day by day. They would say things like this, and I remember Faithy's dad would say that. I heard him say this. Would you want to be found doing that and in that place if Jesus were to come that minute? You know, how many of you have heard something like that? I mean, that, that's something that used to be expressed a lot more than what I ever... I don't hear that hardly at all anymore. Well, I'm not going there. If Jesus comes, I'd be so embarrassed. 
And I think today that many in, in real believers kind of yawn this idea, oh yeah, he's coming someday. There's something about us. I loathe that. Oh, I know that already. And we kind of fall asleep, you know. Couldn't you watch and wait for an hour? There they are sleeping. And that's us. That's our dilemma. God, help us. Change us. Help us to wake every day, look at him, say, Lord, is today the day? Wouldn't that be great? I, I hope it comes before work, don't you? I mean, it's it'd be kind of a bummer. Go to work and uh, just take me before, right? You don't have to labor through that and put up with whatever. and That traffic, wow, or what? You know, that, I'll take any, any, anyway. Yeah, it, it, and you can have all my stuff if you're, you're still here. I won't need any of it. So any, any, anything at all, it's yours. And don't need any money in heaven. That'll be great. I can figure that system out. You get a Coke and you don't have to pay a buck or two. You ever stay in a hotel? They charge $3 for a Coke. Oh, unbelievable. I go on water then, you know. <laughs> well, he's going to come with the clouds, John says. As the angels mentioned, uh, at, at his ascension, there in Acts 1, he went up, and I've stood there on the Mount of Olives. They're like looking up. I think I'll stay here for a while. I don't know. And the angels appear. They're standing. Two men appeared as old men of Galilee. Why stand there? Are you looking up in the heavens? This Christ who, who just uh, ascended is going to come in like fashion. He's going to come again. That's the blessed hope of the church. He's coming. <laughs> Now, it's a, good, it's a great thing, really. It is. If you know him, if you don't, it's a horrifying thought. Horrifying thought. At his second coming uh, on your sheet, I have every eye will see him. Uh, is this TV coverage? Maybe. Maybe it's CNN or Fox or one of those cables. Here we are, live on. You know, <laughs> there it is. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, but it's amazing. We have the technology today. I mean, there, it is a very small world. You see what's going on around the world. And, and even those who pierced him, they're the Jews. The Jews and all the peoples of the earth alive at that time will wail on account of why. They would, the idea is many of them were not ready for him. And now they're lost forever. They're wailing for what they... And the Jews that he came and they rejected him. You killed the author of life. You killed the Messiah. And now many Jews will be saved in the final, final days and months of human history as we know it. You can read Luke 12, the Lord's words on how terrible it is those who are not ready when the Master returned. You see, Jesus is going to come in the air for his bride, the church. In that glorious passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, Julie and Lisa, I often read that at funeral times. What great hope, encourage each other. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ, some of you are kind of dead-like, in Christ, no you're not, but the dead in Christ, those that knew Christ and then died before that day, that is their soul went to heaven instantly to be of the Lord, but their bodies were laid to rest, that's the dead in Christ, and then he says, Paul writes, those of us who are alive and remain, and Paul was looking for the Lord in his day. He thought he was going to, he had the expectation, I'm going to be alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, as 20 centuries ago. We'll be caught up, join those who would die. Their souls will reunite with their bodies that are decayed and dust in the grave and in the oceans or whatever. Those that are in Christ and those that are alive will be, what a reunion that will be. That's the expectation of the church. 
Isn't it glorious? It's wonderful. It's all about Jesus, the book, the blood, and the blessed hope. And the blessed hope uh, has always been, if, I wonder if the Lord will come in my life, I won't have to taste the sting of death, to go without dying. Oh my. To live with such expectation as that. Oh, how great that is. It ought to motivate us to serve. That's how he ends 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because of the resurrection, be steadfast, immovable, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you know your work in the Lord is not in vain. We give ourselves a lot of good stuff, but not the best. A lot of bad stuff we shouldn't do, and a lot of stuff, eh. But we give ourselves to the work of the Lord by serving and being a blessing, loving the Lord, serving in the church, in our family, in our community, and being a blessing because of the resurrection. That's what Paul says. Well, what shall we say by way of lessons for our life on these three essentials that really unfold and tell us that everything here at Greece, everything in your life mine ought to be about Jesus. The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. Number one, both Grace Church, our church, and your life should be all about Jesus. It's, uh, it's not come to church, the work, get your card stamped, pastor, stamp my card. You know, like I showed up, I feel better, feel better about my... No, it's not that. Your life and our church and everything about life, for me to live is Christ, is all about Jesus. If it isn't, you ought to ask the Lord to examine you and say, Lord, where am I falling short? What sin in my life am I holding on to? What idols that I'm holding and making number one and not you? You ought to pray with John. I pray this just about daily. Lord, you must increase. And this guy, I, I must decrease. John the Baptist's words. It's all about him. Do people see Jesus in your life? They ought to. They ought to. Number two, realize afresh that you do not even own your life. You've been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You've been bought. You know, we own our car and say, I bought it. I paid it. 36 easy one, never made an easy one. I paid for it. It's mine. It's mine. Jesus says, you're mine. You know Jesus is Savior. You got the deposit of the Holy Spirit. That's the down payment. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Your brain, your eyes, your ears. So be careful. Eyes what you see, ears what you hear, feet where you go, your mind what you think of. You're mine. You're mine. In fact, we're three times his. Here it is. He made us, and if that weren't enough, I mean, that is enough, right? He made us. We belong to him. He saved us. He bought us. We belong to him. And third, he's sanctifying us. He's making us like Jesus. We're three times his. Number three, awake each day. I encourage you, do what I do. I look up. I'm up usually when it's dark, and I'll see the sun coming up, and I go like, wow, is this the day? Look up, wonder, could this be the day? Don't be lulled into uh, uh, lethargy or fall asleep thinking, oh, it won't be today. It wasn't yesterday, it wasn't the day before. Oh, me, oh, my. He's everything. It could be today could be today. Live with that. Shake the dust off that. It'll change the way you live, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, the way you involve yourself in life. Is today the day? Is today the day? Lord, when you're coming, you came once. It's going to be grand, the rest of the story. Number four, learn to see Jesus in your Bible. Learn to see him. 
Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Lord, where are you? Lord, show me. You know, the amazing thing is, and hear this, I didn't even say this, but when someone teaches or preaches or when you open the Word and you're where you ought to be spiritually, it is actually, when I, when I preach and in those others, it is the voice of Jesus that comes through and connects to your heart. In salvation and in sanctification, as you read, it is the, the Lord is saying, this is for you today. And as you're reading, it's the voice of the Lord to you. If you're where you ought to be. See Jesus in your Bible. Cover to cover. He's everything. Number five and last, the message of the Bible. You say, well, what's the message of the Bible? It's, it's the three little words. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners. Isn't that great? That's me. He saved me. And that's you if you know him. And it can be you if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. My question is, has he saved you? Have you come and said, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me. I'm a sinner. I have fallen so, so short so often, I can't count that high. And I've come to understand through the book the necessity of the blood, and I want the blessed hope. I receive you, Lord, as my Lord and as my God. Thank you for dying in my place as my substitute. And by faith, plus nothing else, I receive you. If you pray that, you'll be saved forever. If I can help in that in any way, to any one of you, anyone, that's my prayer for you. The book, the blood, and what's last? That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... This new year and a time to refocus and to rethink who are we. It's all because of you, Lord, and we love you so. Thank you. Bless us. May, as this year unfolds, if you should tarry in coming, may we fall in love more and more and more with you. And we'll thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand, please.
and wonderful week in the Lord this week, okay? You're dismissed.
Song through endless age. 